All of those accelerated our growth within that first month. Within that January, I saw immediate growth from Harlem Cycle because I was now dedicated. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. It's Nikayla here. And today in the guest chair, we have Tamika Rochester. Tamika is the owner and founder of Harlem Cycle, Harlem's first and only indoor cycling studio. She also has three degrees, mathematics from Spelman College, mechanical engineering from the Georgia Institute of Technology, and her MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. And we get into how all of these influenced her in the interview. So in 2016, Tamika decided to tap into her passion for fitness and open Harlem's first and only indoor cycling studio. Tamika's journey to opening an indoor cycling studio in Harlem started when she was looking to find a workout that would both get her back in shape while putting her in a positive frame of mind. After exploring the various workout options that existed, she found herself drawn to indoor cycling since it took her back to her happy childhood memories of riding her bikes on the streets of Atlanta. Her entrepreneurial spirit and her passion for all things Harlem inspired her to establish Harlem's first ever indoor cycling studio dedicated to the passion, the soul, and the hustle that defines Harlem. I really enjoyed this conversation. Let's get right into it. Welcome to the guest chair, Tamika. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to jump into this today and Having read your bio and learned some more about you, I'm curious to know what was your first side hustle and what do you think drove you to that side hustling mentality? When I first graduated out of college, I had gone to South Africa um, just as, you know, just on vacation visiting my godmother. And from there, we were able to do some missionary projects with her. And from that was my first side hustle. So I started a nonprofit coming out of college. Um, it's called the Renaissance Group. And from there, we, you know, we, part of the mission was to bring African-Americans back to Africa, but to also lead these entrepreneurship boot camps, help these orphans that we work with. And so I've been doing that now for the past 13 years. So that was really my first like push in doing something and creating a brand that was all mine um, with the vision and a mission that was mine. That's still going on? Yes. Interesting. Absolutely. So we still go back every year, once a year. We bring people from the U.S. You come back and teach at our conferences, um, and then you just connect with our students. We have we keep about a hundred students in the program each year. They're all orphans. You teach at our leadership uh, retreat. So it's just it's really an amazing time for everyone. That all comes. right, I love that. I didn't know about that. See, I love learning new things as we speak. Now, what I do know is that you have attained three academic degrees. Okay, <laughs> why? <laughs> Tell us. Why did you pursue these particular fields? So you studied math at Spelman, engineering, Mm -hmm. and then went on to get your MBA. How did all of these different degrees shape your career aspirations? Well, I was always that person that loved math. Like I, math was everything to me. I grew up 
you know, I was a STEM kid. I loved math and sciences. Math was my strong point. That was the one thing I knew I was good at. So that was definitely going to be my major no matter what. So I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to major in math. Um, but then I would, you know, as I got closer to college, I was like, well, I really like, I like building things. I want to create things. And that's how engineering came about. And Spelman had this really amazing program where you spend three years at Spelman. Um, you leave with a science degree. So mine was math. And then you go on to an engineering university for two years to finish up those last two years. And you come out with your um, engineering degree. So I left my undergraduate with a, um, a bachelor's in science and mathematics from Spelman College and then my bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Georgia Tech. What was your initial career path coming out of undergrad? I'm always curious because engineers, you guys can do anything. Like <laughs> you literally, you say you're an engineer and people are like, oh, oh, okay. You, you know what you're, you know what you're doing. So what, what did you do? So I actually, I went into consumer goods. I worked at Colgate Palmolive Company out in New Jersey. Um, so I was there as one of their mechanical engineers, uh, creating the different um, startup productions for, for different products, helping to design their plant floors and standardize their plants. So I, I worked in engineering when I came out, loved it. Absolutely loved everything about it. Um, so it, you know, definitely still to this day, I still tell people I'm still an engineer at heart. Um, it's just, it's something about the camaraderie of your team, the being able to design something and seeing it from beginning to end, the being able to kind of just take the, the reins and like, just figure it out. So, you know, in engineering, there's a lot of just figure it out. Um, and so that I, you know, it's still part of who I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually did work as an engineer for many years. I worked um, as an engineer for about 10 years. Okay. And one of the thing I like is that your guys, your brains then become wired to problem solve and to think through things in a very pragmatic, systematic way as well. Um, so then what made you go on to pursue your MBA? Were you pivoting at that time? Yeah. So I was actually pivoting. That was, that was um, a pivot for me because as an engineer, I was, you know, sitting in these meetings and we'd get this new product launch that somebody in the marketing field thought was going to be amazing. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'd be in these meetings rolling my eyes like, this is a terrible idea. Nobody would buy that. That's, I don't, you know, and they'd be like, oh, we did marketing studies. We did this. And I'd be like, uh-uh, I, I don't believe you. But as an engineer, that's, it wasn't my job to push back on the idea. It was, my job was to get that idea to market. Um, but at one day I was just like, I can't with this anymore. Who's coming up with these ideas? I got to <laughs> you know as my boss you know i'm telling you and we you know we as as engineers we literally after every meeting with mark our marketing team we'd be like in the cafeteria laughing at what we heard oh no (laughs) one day i'm like talking with my boss and he's like well you know you should go into one of these meetings to me go to new york and see what they're doing and so you know i was like okay i'm gonna spend the day in new york i you know i reached out to someone in marketing i was like i just want to shadow for a day you know to kind of understand the process of how we're getting you know from idea to conception and and how to get this happening and so i spent the day one day just kind of um trailing someone in new york and i was like "Uh uh-uh i gotta we gotta make some changes (laughs) so then i was like well the only way change can happen is if you do it yourself and i really then was like i'm gonna get my mba i think that'll be fun too um so i then from there i went to nyu at nights um driving into city at nights and weekends and ended up with my mba from nyu wow so you were where were you living outside of new york Uh, yeah i was still in jersey so i down in the piscataway area Oh, okay 
That's interesting that you mentioned, you know, that feeling of like, who's coming up with this in marketing, because having worked in marketing, I've had kind of a similar experience, but it was like people were coming up with it on the product side. And I'm like, now who thought about this? How am I supposed to market this? Nobody asked me before they d- plop this in f- on my desk and said market this. <laughs> So it's so interesting, all the different characters that come into play. Now, all of this time you're getting your education. Are you thinking, I'm going to stay in consumer product goods for a while? You had no intention of leaving that job. So at what point did you start to think about starting your own business? I didn't. (laughs) So as I, you know, after I finished my um, MBA, then I decided to transition into marketing. So I started at Colgate, um, still, I stayed at the company, but I asked to do an internship. I was like, can I intern for a month in marketing? And if you like me and I like you, let's see what we can do. Um, and so I actually came on as an intern with their intern class. Like I hadn't been there for 10 years. Um, and then from there, you know, the head of the oral care department was like, oh, we love to make this great problem solving. She knows supply chain. You know, so I was, I was the only person that actually knew supply chain. Um, and how things actually got marketing. So I could sit in the meeting and be like, that could never physically happen, but it's a great idea. Um, so it was, you know, I had that perspective bringing it to the table. And so from there, I um, actually joined the marketing team, which, you know, I wasn't sure I would like it. And that's why I asked for that internship because I wanted an out. I wanted to be able to walk right back to my, um, <laughs> <laughs> back to my old team and say, Hey, I'm back. I was just gone for a minute. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it actually worked out well. So I, I started with a pretty good team in marketing um, and, and then I, I transitioned quickly, though. So then I, I got promoted within six months to a team that didn't love, you know, from there I got promoted again to a team that I really didn't love. And when I got onto that really didn't love space, I had to find like my own stress relievers, things to kind of cope with the day to day stresses of what was going on. And so I found cycling as my go to exercise. That was my stress reliever. That was my me time. And I had a uh, young son at the time. So when I transitioned and started my internship, my son was only five months old. So it was a lot of life changes going on at the, all at once. All at once. Yeah. I, you know, I just like everything at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, it was, you know, I had a young son at the time and I, I needed mommy time. I needed work life time. I, you know, it was just so much going on. So I found cycling as my like go to to just figure it out. Got it. But I wasn't quite happy with like my options. So, the, you know, like the local YMCA by me had great. It was great for the fact that it was close to home. So on weekends, it was perfect. You know, I could just walk out of my apartment. I'm there. But they had so many different things. You know, the facilities weren't updated. You had to like come an hour in advance to put your name on a list. And then you had to wait to see if you could get a number and then you could take the class. Um, and I just didn't have that kind of time. I, I had like a three-year-old at home. He, he need, you know, I just didn't have two hours of my day to just have me time. It just doesn't happen like that for me. Um, and then you'd get there and the bikes are broken or the teacher's late or it was just always something. Um, but they had great music because, you know, it was Harlem. Like, of course, the teacher brought her good music. Um, and so if nothing else, they'd be like, well, can I just sit outside the door and listen to the music for 20 minutes? <laughs> kind of lose myself in that. And then during the week, I would find studios in Midtown area because that's where I was working um, and go during lunch. But I didn't love them. They weren't they the were same. Just convenient. Yeah, they were just convenient. Now, I loved the facilities themselves. They had the great free products in the bathroom. They had the easy sign up online. You just walk right in your bike. 
sex there. It was like, it, that was great, but it didn't feel like me. Um, it wasn't something that I would be like, oh, I can't wait to tell a friend about this glass I had. It was like, I mean, I went. I got my sweat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, it, when Harlem Cycle came out from one day just being frustrated. Like, this is ter- like, I don't I'm out for a jog and I was like, I really wish there was a cycling studio here. I don't want to go to these gyms anymore up here when I'm, you know, on my free weekends. And I don't, I don't want to keep going to Midtown and not really liking what I'm, I'm experiencing because I'm paying a lot of money and I just don't like it enough. Um, and so I was just out for a run that November and I was like, oh, look, this space is available. Let me call this realtor. Just, I just want to see how much commercial, um, rent is in Harlem. No, you see, (laughs) let me stop you right there real quick because, okay, so I can definitely relate. And I think a lot of us can relate to that desire to, you know, stay in shape, especially while we're working in busy careers and explore different workout options. And I definitely can relate to enjoying the facilities in certain neighborhoods, but just Mm -hmm. wanted something the same in your own neighborhood, but we don't necessarily like see a, a vacant uh, <laughs> storefront and say, you know what? Maybe I should go look into this. Maybe I should start this. So about how many years into cycling were you before you had that, that moment of, let me look into that. So I was about, um, three years in. So that like the correlation of my marketing career okay. <laughs> from the moment I started was I needed to find an outlet of cycling, <laughs> but I was just, you know, I was okay with the status quo of these studios midday and then weekends here in Harlem, just not being happy with it. So I was, I was okay with the status quo for a while until I wasn't. What know? happened once you saw that, when you went into that building or you looked up that number, what happened next? So I, you know, I spoke to the realtor and she told me how much the rent would be per month. And I was like, oh, that, well, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> and she was like, well, well, what are you looking for? Um, and I was like, oh, well, I had this idea for a cycling studio. You know, I'm just wondering if there's, do you know if any cycling studios are coming to the neighborhood? Um, and she was like, well, are you a cycling studio? And I was like, oh, well, no, but I just wanted to look into it. Um, and she was like, well, I can show you some other places that might be a little bit better because that place was, it was amazing. It was huge, but it was well over the price that anyone should pay for a space. Uh, but the realtor, she was like, well, let me show you some other things. And I was like, okay, well, let me put some numbers to paper. So this is where my, my engineering and, and also the business degree comes out. The first thing I do is always look at numbers. It's like, okay, well, if rents this month, if I estimate, you know, and then I started going online and seeing how much do cycling instructors make? Okay, great. So if I have to pay an instructor this amount, estimate, you know, rough numbers of what my monthly bills could be. This is how much I have to bring in each month. Like, is this, is this a doable plan? Like I realized that, you know, I, it, it was doable in the sense that I didn't have to sell out every single class. I didn't have to have 50 people in a class every single day and still be able to make, um, at least break even. Um, so I looked at what that break even point was like, this is doable. I, I can find this amount of people who love cycling and want something better. Um, and so, you know, that to me was like, okay, that was a turning point where I was like, this can happen. So after looking at the numbers, I was like, well, let's write a business plan. And so that all this started in November of 2015. By December, 2016, I found a space that I really liked, uh, and made an offer to the owner. And by February 1st, I signed that lease. And so I was, I'm, I'm, it's full spring. We opened April 2nd, had our first class. So what happened between, um, 
signing the lease and opening? Like, how did you go about getting the bikes and instructors or were Mm -hmm. you going to instruct all the classes? Funny part of that is at no point did I mention that I was a cycling instructor. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's what I'm wondering. (laughs) So I signed at least February 1st which I always like to point out that coincided with Black History Month and it wasn't significant until to me until the next year I was like, ah, oh, look, I made history during Black History Month. Oh my God, it was, <laughs> it was, it was like everything aligned. Um, but I did not get my instructing certification until two weeks later, till middle, mid-February. But okay. getting your certification doesn't make you an excellent teacher. It doesn't even teach you how to teach. It teaches you the biomechanics of cycling. It teaches you, you know, all the health and science behind it. But it doesn't teach me how to count music. It doesn't teach me what to say in front of a class. It doesn't teach me how to conduct myself in front of a room full of people. Uh, and, and I knew that. When I walked out of there, I was like, oh, no, this is not, I'm not going to sell one class if I have to be at the front. Um, but I also believe in wherever, you, when you know your strengths, you work on those strengths. And when you know that you're not that strong, find someone who is. So I held auditions. I um, posted a job online and went and found instructors who I thought were great and hired them and then had them teach me how to teach. And then from there, I didn't teach first class till October of our first year. Okay. Now, you know, the interesting thing about that is, yo, you just added more costs to your business. So, (laughs) and and you're a numbers girl. So how did you um, justify that and make sure that all the numbers would work if you now have to pay people? Well, that was also part of my, um, when I looked at my break even number. So I had, you know, when I was doing my initial break even analysis, I had looked up the average cost of an instructor within New York city. And so I had factored that all this time. You're still working full time, right? What was your plan to transition from a point of breaking even to actually making profit and being able to leave your job? So within the first six months of Harlem Cycle, I knew I I needed an out from Colgate. I I had to go Um, because, you know, it was interesting. We And remember, my son is he's four at the time now. So when we opened, he was just four. We would wake up in the morning, 6 a.m., opening up the studio, me and my little four year old who just knows (laughs) Um, and we, you know, open up, let the instructor in, they teach class. And then I'd hurry to take him to daycare and I'd hurry on down to Colgate. And I would five o'clock on the dot. I was out the door because one, I had to pick him right back up. And then we were back to the studio 6 p.m. And we'd be there till 8 30, 9 p.m. Like he, there's many a days you would walk in and he's asleep at the front or he's doing his homework or he eating dinner and all those things would happen at the front. Um, and this is seven days a week. Like it was, it's a hard schedule to keep. Not just for a four-year-old, but also for a, a 30-year-old. Like, it was very hard to keep that schedule seven days a week. Um, and so, you know, first, the, just the excitement of the work was enough to motivate you and keep you going. But after a while, just physically, you can't keep that schedule. It was just impossible to keep. Um, I hired front desk managers that would help with the opening up and the closing of the studios. But one thing I wanted to make sure was that I was still there every day, um, even if I'm not there for the full time, just to imp- I wanted to make sure that the brand that I was creating was true to what I had envisioned. And the best way I, I felt to do that was making sure that my presence was there. I was invoking the kind of level of customer service that I wanted my team to do while I wasn't there. So they would see me doing it. Um, cause I always feel like if, if the owner isn't physically able to do what they're doing, what you're doing, then they shouldn't be asking you to do it. Uh, so mm-hmm. I always wanted to make sure like with 
if my front desk meant people saw me being overly helpful and, and helping people and setting them up and being polite and friendly and that they would know that's the, that's the expectation that that's what you should do. Even if I'm not here, I mean, I wanted to set that tone for my business. So within those first six months, I was there every day. Me and my son were there every day. Um, and then we started pulling back a little bit, particularly in the morning. So he could get a little bit more rest. And just from physically, I couldn't keep that schedule. It was, it was exhausting. And, and, you know, at the time I had been also promoted at work, um, and which put me over Palm Olive, which was my biggest brand. And, you know, as much as I love promotions, I was like, this did not come at the right time. I, I wanted the money, but I did not want the responsibilities. (laughs) (laughs) Were you also managing more people with that promotion? Yeah. So more people, but also just a larger, uh, there was a larger set of cross-functional teams that now had to work together, which meant just managing a lot more um, pieces of the puzzle. And it just was, it was just too much all at once. So don't tell me you got the promotion and quit. Uh, no, well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just joking. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> um, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's like, well, um, but you know, after, so within the first year I stayed with Colgate, I was there for a year and two months to the date that we opened. Um, and then I just had to, I had to go. I physically couldn't do it anymore. Uh, and plus, you know, at that point, Colgate had found out that I had opened Harlem Cycle. We had gotten some great press. There was no hiding it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed a little, a bit of microaggressions from my current management team, you know, just little things. And I'd be like, I just, I don't have time for this. One, I'm exhausted. Two, I, if you knew what I had to do just to get here, I don't, I don't have time for this. Uh, right. so <laughs> it just... I had to just make the decision one day. And, you know, to this day, I don't look back one bit. Hey, guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. Before I started side hustling, I had no idea how much time pitching, drafting proposals, creating contracts and managing clients would take. The good news is that HoneyBook can help with all of those tedious admin tasks so you can get back to doing what you love. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, your bookings, your contracts, and more all in one place. It's perfect for freelancers, side hustlers, or small business owners that want to consolidate services they already use, like Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp. With HoneyBook, you can automate all of that. They have easy-to-use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, and invoices. They also have e-signatures and built-in automation to save you time. So simplify your to-do list and stay in control with HoneyBook. And right now, HoneyBook is offering Side Hustle Pro listeners 50% off when you visit tryhoneybook.com slash hustle pro. Payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So go to tryhoneybook.com slash hustlepro for 50% off your first year. That's tryhoneybook.com slash hustlepro. If you listen to my episode on how to make money podcasting, then you know that I pitched my very first sponsor six months after launching this show. And you know what else I did once I landed the contract? I invoiced them using FreshBooks. FreshBooks made it so simple. That's because FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it keeps you organized. 
FreshBooks lets you create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Plus, you can file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part? FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn how to do accounting. Try it free for 30 days, no catch and no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section to get started. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and tell them side hustle pro sent you. One thing we didn't talk about is with that initial down payment, was that you taking out a chunk of your savings or, you know, applying for loans? And if so, you know, when you were ready to leave, did you have enough savings to live off of, you know, like, tell us a little bit more about that financial picture, because it, it, it's important for us to talk oh, about. Oh, I think that's the most important part. I started Harlem Cycle based off of my savings. Um, and my fiance had lent me some money at the time to cover it. Um, don't tell anyone, but I have no plans on paying him back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to wrap that up into marital debt. Right. <laughs> But so that was what, what, what was used to buy all of our equipment to build that. We had to make, you know, some changes to the building, um, just even painting. All those things add up and come with a huge cost. I didn't make my first $10 from Harlem Cycle till November of 2016. Now, we were open. And you opened in? April. Okay. Um, and literally, it was $10. I remember after doing payroll and, and paying all the bills for the month, I was like, oh, it's $10. <laughs> We're profitable. I was like, we're finally profitable. <laughs> um, and so because I had been using my Colgate uh, income to pay my payroll or to wherever there was like a shortfall, like, like it was coming from my current job to make that that little bit of gap. Um, and in that November. And so the crazy thing is that little ten dollars was really the spark for me leaving Colgate. I saw I saw that it could happen. Like I saw that we could be profitable. Um, and it just kind of opened up my eyes to all the things that were happening at work to the little microaggressions, all this thing. Cause you know, before it was like, well, I need this job, so I'm okay. You know, like just whatever <laughs> you just go to that meeting, keep your head down and just do what you're supposed to do. And then once I made those $10, it was like, um, excuse me, who are you talking to? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. Cause I relate to that. I'm like, um, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to be there. I don't have to be here. Oh, you know that, right? Be here. You have to be here. I don't have to be here. So, but you know, I really am. I'm, I'm really thankful for that, like eye-opening moment that it could happen. Um, because right. I have had no regrets since that day. My my life has been better. My son's life has been better. We're physically, mentally, just um, healthier, and it has been tr a true blessing. And thank you for those ten dollars for opening the path for me. Yes. But I know when you left, you had to be making more than $10. Oh. So when you left at that point, were you more profitable or were you, you know, okay with living off of savings for a little while longer, knowing that you were on track to be more profitable? Yeah. So I was okay with um, zeroing out my savings. I was okay with like, well, 
Okay, so let's see what the 401k does. If you have to pay your taxes, if you have to draw it all out, how much, how long could you live like this? And I had enough left after all of my startup costs and you know paying out of pocket for the past couple of months that I could have lived for six more months um, comfortably with my son still going to daycare instead of having to be pulled out and be homeschooled, um, with me still being able to live in my apartment before having to move back with my mom. Um, so I knew I had six months to really push. Harlem cycle to a level that could cover not only Harlem cycles bills, but my bills so that I could get a draw an income from it. Mm. Um, because I wasn't drawing an income before I was, you know, Colgate was paying my income and then Harlem right. cycle was paying its own. So I had six months to get it where it could pay me. Um, and, and the, you know, I was like, well, it's now or never because I, I physically had nothing left to give. I was like, it's now or never, or you're going to die at this desk here. Uh, mm. And so it's and what happened in the next six months? Were you able to meet that that goal? Absolutely, it's amazing how you don't realize that you are the you're the what's holding yourself back. So within my first month of leaving Colgate, you know, I was able to say yes to a lot of things that these things weren't offered to me. But if they were offered, I would have had to say no. Um, but I, you know, getting a program that was you know a private program for educators that would meet, but they would meet at like four o'clock and it's a private class just for them, set income for the studio, which was great. Uh, But I would have had to say no, because none of my instructors were available at that time. And I would have been at work at that time. And that, you know, of course, lined us up for a great amount of income. Being able to meet and connect with other fitness personnel midday and just getting their knowledge and wisdom and being able to use that to pivot being able to focus more on my branding and my social media and all these different things now middle of the day. And all of those accelerated our growth within that first month. Within that January, I was I saw immediate growth from Harlem Cycle because I was now dedicated and focused into making sure it happened. Yes. So I, a lot of it was me holding us back. That's such a good realization. And I think, you know, when you're just trying to juggle two jobs, it can be hard to see that, right? You're like, I'm doing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm side hustling. Um, this place isn't making enough income yet. I'm making sure it can. But then once you get to a place and for, for you, it was that $10, that symbolic $10. You know, I had a similar moment, right? Where I was making, maybe like, uh, maybe I made a hundred and I was like, imagine if I could do this full time. Like I believe in myself. I believe I can push this and I can, you know, 10x this. Yes. So having that moment is so important. Now, also, I lived in Harlem back in uh, 2007. And when I was there, the workout options were much slimmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had your traditional gyms, of course, but none of these cool boutique no, fitness no experiences. Now, has it been easy to attract customers given how Harlem has changed since I, I left in 2009? Crazy thing is we're still the first and only cycling studio in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And what's more crazy is since I've opened, there's now a bar studio, there's now a hit studio, there's now a boxing studio, there's now a Pilates studio. So all of these happened after 2017, 2018. So we were still the first when it came towards the boutique studio atmosphere outside of yoga. There was always yoga options in Harlem. Yes. Um, so you could always find some place to do yoga, but you couldn't find cardio-based workouts, not from a boutique standpoint. So we were still kind of paving the way for that. And I didn't realize it until there was an article that came out on how we changed the Harlem uh, landscape. And I was like, ooh, that's a kind of a, that's an aggressive headline. And I was like, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's facts. It's actually true facts. So uh, we were we we're still one of the first boutique studios, particularly in that cardio space that opened. And now I'm seeing uh, uh, the doors are just wide open. You're, you're getting studios and coming all the time. Every year it's like been a new one. Um, and it's been great. It's been great because what it's doing is it's creating a fitness lifestyle within the community. So, you know, before it's, you know, if I lost a client, it wasn't that I was losing them to another studio or to the gym. I was losing them to their couch, which is a hard thing mm. to compete against. It's very hard to compete against that couch. That couch wins every time. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're created because they have other workout options. It's like, well, if you don't want to cycle seven days a week, which most people don't, and, I, you know, it's, it's hard to. So instead of doing cycling seven days a week, maybe you do cycling two times a week. Maybe you go to a bar class once a week. Maybe you go to a hit class once a week. And because now you've created this as part of your lifestyle, that makes you a constant and brand loyal customer to me because it's now part of your lifestyle. That couch can't drag you in because you have all these different ways and methods of being pulled back out. And it's been great. It's been great having those other businesses here. It's been great seeing the changes and it's been even more amazing to kind of see how the community has really embraced it, how they're making that change in their lifestyle and, and just really embracing wellness. Yes. And that's a great way to look at it, you know, rather than being uh, scared or feeling like people will switch or just, you know, not have a strong attention span for your pro your uh, cycling studio. You are recognizing that we're creating a, a fitness culture. Like what we're creating is options. Now with that though, there is the whole, consideration of people dipping in but not returning how mm -hmm. have you learned to maintain revenue to maintain clientele to build that habit is it in emphasizing packages and subscriptions what do you do for us it's emphasizing how we're changing your life uh, so you know our, our package where we were i created these packages based off of you know um making sure that we were competitive within the market but also that we were something that the community could afford so, you know, we're still, um, we're 42% less than the average cycling class. And yet our quality and brand is significantly higher. Personal opinion, but I also think my clients are free. <laughs> <laughs> clients yes. free as well. Um, but I want to make sure that the community that I'm in could, could actually come and take these classes. Right. Um, and the way that we really keep you loyal to our brand is there are so many people who, just like you said, they love to switch to go back and forth. But it's being able to differentiate ourselves from those other studios by creating a community within the studio. So we have a lot of programs focused on, you know, community building. We're not one of those studios where you don't, you just come in, everybody works out and they go. It's like, talk to your neighbor, give them a high five, like meet, meet the person next to you. And, you know, having that, that, that little, little moment of exchange where you're actually, someone's like asking how your day was creates, a, you will not, you'd be so surprised at how it creates a brand loyalty that is just natural and authentic. Yes. Um, and we do a lot of programs to kind of bring the community within the space. So we'll have like a taste of Harlem where you come in and taste all of the healthy options from the Harlem restaurants. Um, because we're trying to also incorporate wellness from a holistic standpoint. We're not just teaching you about cycling, but from an overall wellness perspective, we bring in a lot of the small businesses to vend in our space and clients really appreciate the fact that we care enough about your health and wellness that I'm bringing in other businesses. Um, and we partner with like we're doing a fitness crawl next on Sunday, sold out in one day. Wow. Um, but 
you know, I, I care enough about your fitness that I want to bring in other studios so that you can try them out too. And clients really appreciate that. And they see the authenticity in that and know that it's not, it's not, it's not about the money for me because I can, I, we, you know, I can charge more because that that's where the market is here in New York, but it's not about the money. It's about making sure that we're changing and creating lives. Mm-hmm. And so just making sure that that authentically comes through in everything that we do. Right. Okay. So you mentioned uh, money isn't everything. And I know that I agree with that as well. Impact is far more valuable in the long run than just thinking about, okay, this client represents $20 and if I multiply 20 by five, then exactly. blah, 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 blah. right. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, we do still have to, you know, cover overhead and make profit. We got to pay our bills. We got to pay our bills. So how do you balance that? How do you go about marketing to find new class attendees over and over again? Like you can't just rely on the old faithfuls. How are you continuing to yeah. push the Harlem cycle name? So we continue through, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on in social media. Social media is the hugest way for us. Um, I even see my clients. I'll, I'll tell you in class, I'll send you an email and they're like, oh, well, I saw it on Instagram. And I'm like, uh-huh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so we do a lot of social media um, just to make sure that clients are seeing us. It takes about three to four times for them to see us before they'll make that They'll go to the website. You know, it takes a push, particularly when it comes to fitness, um, because, you know, it's going to be hard the first time. So you need a little extra push to get yourself there. Um, So we make sure we do a lot of social media marketing. I've also found that because we do a lot of events at our space, that the event marketing also um, helps a lot, too. So I'm not just pushing classes to you all day long, like take a class, take a class, take a class. We don't we don't do that. It's about all the different things that you can experience by being part of the Harlem Cycle community. And so that works really well for us. Um, and, and the fact that clients also don't know what they're going to see when when an email comes or when they look on our social media. It could be a funny gif. It could be my son dancing. It could be about classes. So you, you really just don't know. And, and so you're looking forward to seeing what that could be. We do a lot of connecting with our local businesses. Um, so we'll do like partnerships like this month for Black History Month. We've partnered with some of the black owned businesses within Harlem. And so if you take a class with us, you get a discount from them. So it's the cross promotion that also helps because mm-hmm. they have their own clientele. And so now they're discovering us. So a lot, we do a lot of things like that. Um, but it's a, a lot of our marketing is driven by social media. Love it. Love it. So. If you had a chance to start Harlem Cycle over again, from side hustle to full-time entrepreneur, what do you think you would do differently? I would be a little bit more, I would say, uh, discerning when it came to who I initially hired. Uh, So when I first hired my first team, it was just like, are you available at this time? Because I need somebody. (laughs) (laughs) I physically can't. I'm sure that went well. You do it. Yes. And so it was like, great. I mean, I lucked up and found a really great team. And, you know, half of my team is still the originals from four years ago. Um, And so and those who have even left us are still friends to Harlem Cycle. Like we still have dinner and coffee. Like we're still, you know, in very good terms, but their life just took them in a different direction. But I would have been a little bit more discerning and like, okay, maybe you don't fit the brand as much as I like you to. I'm overlooking things because I like you as a person, um, but we're not aligned. Um, and so I would have been a little bit more discerning in those initial hires just to make sure that I was protecting the brand and keeping it a little bit closer. It all kind of just worked out naturally. And so that that really worked out in my favor, but I think that was just God intervening. Mm, interesting. And so it, 
if you were to think of like your biggest challenge during this whole journey thus far, would you say it's been hiring or was there anything um, also money related, for example, keeping overhead low that was challenging? Uh, no, I'm really good at being frugal. <laughs> so I can keep money really low. Um, I can, I, you know, it's, it's that it's that scrappy engineer in me. I can figure like, I don't need to call a mechanic. I can just do it. I'll figure it out. Just show me a manual. Give me a YouTube video. <laughs> you, like I can figure it out. Right. So those things I was able to do, even our social oh, media. Like yeah. I never, I opened my Instagram and Harlem cycle Instagram at the same time. And so I figured it out. Like you figure it out. Um, so I've been able to, you know, be scrappy on certain things and, and that has helped with overhead. I think my biggest thing has been as a leader, being able to let go of, um, people is mm. the hardest thing in the world for me. And I like, I literally cry before I have to have a conversation with someone. It is, it is the most painful thing in the process. And I'll let something drag on for a month when I know it should have been handled, but it's, I just, it's so, it's such a hard conversation for me to have with someone because every person that's been a part of my team is you were hired because we really like you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but this may not be the right fit for you from, right. you know, your goals or whatever your, your mission is in life. Um, and, and, and it comes through, it comes through in your interaction with clients. It comes through with just even your timeliness and showing up for work. And so it, it comes to the point where you kind of have to have those difficult conversations and, they're, they're so difficult that I am the night before I can't sleep. I got anxiety. I'm like, oh my God, there's such a nice person. And I'm like, I can well, imagine. Yeah. Forget about it. Everybody can't like you. Um, and so I have to have that like self-talk with myself um, and then have the conversation. Okay. So that, that has been the hardest thing for me as a business owner and an entrepreneur is really kind of finding that balance of when to let go. Thank you for that transparency. So now what is next for Tamika and Harlem Cycle? Well, we are growing, 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 which is amazing. Um, so, you know, we're, we're hosting our second retreat this year. So May 16th through 17th, we're on Governor's Island. It's an amazing retreat. I did the first one last year and it was it was so life-changing and transformational. This is something that we're going to do every year. Um, so May 16th through 17th is our next retreat. And then our second studio um, opens up August of 2020. We're coming to the historical 125th what? street. So we're staying in Harlem. <laughs> Love uh, it. Yes. So growth on many, many different avenues. Um, and then from there, you know, the goal is to open a studio once a year, um, until we've, we've kind of tailored the market for urban mm, areas. Love it. And what's the retreat about? So do you bring the bikes out or is it more, you know, uh, mental and physical, just taking a pause. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so, and once again, personal opinion, but still, it is truly amazing. So, you know, I've always been one of those people when I was at work, I'm like, I want to go on these retreats. And then I'm like, oh, all you do is yoga. <laughs> I mean, not that I'm against yoga. I enjoy a yoga class every now and then, but obviously I am a cardio right, right? person. You know, I love cardio workouts. I love jumping up and down. I, You know, that's, that's my mm-hmm. stress relief. Um, and so I, never been able to find a cardio retreat, one that focused on cardio workouts. So once again, this is the Tamika that's like, well, hell, I'll just do it myself. Uh, So I created the cardio glamping retreat. We're on Governor's Island. I bring in five different studio owners from New York City to come and teach you different workouts throughout these two-day periods. Um, And so you have HIIT training, you'll have bar workout, you'll have um, boot camp style workout. Uh, so you'll have, we have kickboxing, like it's amazing workouts throughout the two days. Well, that sounds awesome. What's the best part? It's a retreat. <laughs> 
It's and I'm just genuinely curious, yes. you guys. Like, this is not <laughs> this is not a sponsored ad. I'm like, what? What? I'm trying to envision a cycling retreat. Okay, where are you going to have the studio uh, owners coming what? to you? Uh, but it's still a retreat. So we're lounging around. We're drinking wine. We're taking bike rides. We're going kayaking. Like, you're you're. It's just so much fun, and it's so transformational in the sense that this is finally two days to yourself. You're literally mm. just one five minute ferry ride from New York City. So we're still looking at the Statue of okay. Liberty. We're just on the other side but of it. And it's so amazing to kind of disconnect for a bit. I'm making a mental note of this for 2021. 2020, I'll still be, you know, postpartum recovering. But 2021, <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to need. Some mommy time plus some workout time. <laughs> uh, and, and can people just find out about that on your website, Harlem Cycle? So you can go to our website, harlem-cycle.com and all the retreat information's there. It's, it's, it's really, I wish you could join us this year, but we'll see you in 2021. Yes. All right. So now let's get into the lightning round. You just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, speed is of the essence. All right. You ready? Okay. <laughs> okay. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Uh, Canva. I use that to create my Instagram posts. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's someone who didn't know Instagram. This is great for making things consistent. Yes. Number two, what's been the best business book that you have consumed and, and used in business this year? Ooh, I don't read a lot of books, but I have read The Alchemist four times in the past four years. Not a business book, mm. but it is something that I always need that constant reminder that it's about the journey. It's, it's the journey. Mm. Um, so I've read that once a year. Love that. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your daily routine? Oh, breakfast and sleep. I don't skip meals. Seven hours of sleep a day. Okay. Number four, what is a personal habit that helped you significantly when you were side hustling? Um, I would always take the time to kind of write down my to-do list because as I wrote it down and the, the slow act of writing will help me realize things are just not as important as if I had typed it out. And so the, the smaller things will automatically fall off the list. Very cool. Okay. And finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? Um, I would say take the time to really write down your vision, make it clear. Um, sometimes it just gets muddled by outside influences. So you want to make sure that you don't stray away from your purpose. Now, once that vision is clear, it's time to act, like make the leap. Once you can see the vision and you know that it is there, just go ahead and start. And with that, where can people connect with you after this episode? Yes, you can find us, of course, online, www.harlem-cycle.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Harlem Cycle. Um, and you can connect with me via email at info at harlem-cycle.com. All right, guys. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other side hustlers just like you to find the show. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Side Hustle Pro. Plus, sign up for my six-foot Saturday newsletter at sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter. When you sign up, you'll receive weekly nuggets from me, including what I'm up to, personal lessons, and my business tip of the week. Again, that's sidehustlepro.co slash newsletter to sign up. Talk to you soon.